0: Welcome back to the Better Way podcast. This is, as you probably know by now, a curiosity podcast. It's a podcast where we ask, there has to be a better way, right? There just has to be. I'm Zach Kosalia, the co-founder of RNG Insights Lab, and I am joined as always, and thank goodness for that, by my colleague and friend and collaborator, the one and only Hui Chen. Hi, Hui.
1: Hi, everyone what an intro. <laughs>
0: well, we don't have a guest today, Huey, do we?
1: We don't. We're no gonna, guess. though, go through some of our favorite takeaways, or some of our favorite better ways. That's
0: right. It's a bit of a retrospective. I think this is going to be our our 14th episode. We've been at this now for about six months, and we just wanted to kind of recap some of the wonderful guests and the better ways that have come our way. It's a nice way to kind of close out the first half of the year to take a pause and reflect as we head into summer and also preview some of the really great stuff that we have coming up.
1: Yes, very exciting stuff.
0: So before we dive into the meat of this way, one thing I just wanted to sort of acknowledge was how wonderful our listeners have been it has been consistent um folks have been reaching out there have been numerous times when we've either been in a client meeting or a pitch um, yesterday i was guest lecturing at a, at a law school and i had someone tell me that they were listening to the podcast and i just wanted to start by thanking everyone for coming on this journey with us for the past six months
1: Absolutely. I I even, you know, I've met people through this podcast that I might not otherwise have met. Um people have reached out and said, you know, we've been listening and just really like to talk to you um about some of the stuff that you've been discussing and I have so appreciated the uh, the feedback and people's interest and I have to say uh I have also just learned a ton from both our guests and our audience. So It's been a fun journey. As you know, Zach, I I did not start out being comfortable with this whole format. Um, so I'm not sure either
0: of us are comfortable even now. But but here we are.
1: (laughs) Right here in itself is a better way, which is push out of your comfort zone and try to do something that you're not comfortable doing, which is what we're doing here.
0: Absolutely. All right. So we've each sort of identified some of our top moments, our top better ways our favorite takeaways Wait, why don't why don't you go first
1: okay so this is a little unusual i sort of picked out five better ways and they all all five of them come from our very last episode
0: which also means if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to that episode yet because it did only come out two weeks ago go listen to it because otherwise there's about to be some spoilers but it was a really good one
1: it really was, so let me start by by the first thing that Dr. Corander said, which was when they were faced with a problem, they decided that we can 't just look in our normal environment uh for for solution, we want to go outside, and she talked about going. Not just outside to behavior scientists. They talk to people who did the peace tra- treaties in Ireland. They talk to people who worked with, you know, players in in sports, sports, you know, sport players, and and talk about how players can get super competitive, but they do so within a set of uh, a set of rules. So the, the the thinking about there are other people who have encountered the problems that we're facing. But in a completely different setting, let's hear what they have to say and what we have to learn from them.
0: Yes. Well, let's set the stage for folks. There may be some who haven't listened to the last episode. So Dr. Currender was a staffer on... The committee to modernize the United States Congress, so we talked to a lot of people from the worlds of behavioral science we've talked to people from the worlds of ethics and compliance. We've talked to people from the world of law, which is, these are all worlds in which we live and ponds within which we swim. But this guest was someone who was on the committee to modernize Congress, and this was a committee that, by all accounts, was destined to fail.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't figure out how to do it without, spoiler, um, so <laughs> that was a perfect way of doing it. So, uh, and this this is the background of all of this too, is that I never, uh, certainly not within the last 20, 30 years, expected to have any kind of constructive lesson coming out of the U.S. Congress. Uh, Especially one
0: about how to work together and achieve things and, you know, uh, make decisions. I mean, absolutely. that was the last place we would look. <laughs>
1: no kidding and and all of this you know the entire setting for the work that she talked about the work the backdrop of this committee was joined the mostly during the the end of the trump presidency and yes. the beginning of biden's with january sixth being the interlude
0: right smack in the middle and insurrection
1: you know i'm beginning to call this my goosebump episode because i i get goosebumps every time i talk about it and i get it now um this lesson of looking outside of your normal environment is also embodied by our very act of inviting Dr. Curander to come speak to us about this. And, and some of you who know my past work know that um, I've always been very interested in, for example, looking at people who work in other to prevent and detect type of fields. And that's usually safety. And there's different kinds of safety. There's patient safety in hospitals. There's uh, aviation safety for the airlines. uh, There's, you know, sort of workplace safety for a lot of industries in manufacturing. I always thought there was a lot of lessons to be learned from there. But I certainly, like I said, never never thought that uh I could be looking to the US Congress to on a lesson on how to work together. So it, it really has inspired me to think about where else can we get these lessons from? Where else should we be looking? You know, should we also be talking to sports coaches and players? Should we also talking be talking to uh people in this you know, safety industry, uh talk to people who have done, you know, peace negotiations uh conflict resolutions a lot of different ideas and i really hope this also inspires all of you to feed us your ideas
0: yes i love that i think that's going to be a recurring theme and sort of the continued evolution of this podcast is us just bringing in folks with different perspectives different experiences but lessons that we can all learn so my first one comes from episode five where our guest was David Yanofsky, who's our data analytics guy. David shared with us the concept of precision journalism, which was a term that he used to describe his prior life as a data journalist. And here's a quote from him from that episode. He said, Data journalism has been such a hot area for the last couple of years. One of the founding fathers of this work had a great term, for this called precision journalism, which I think anyone can relate to, of wanting more precision in your work and not just going off what people are telling you or what people are saying about things, but actually being able to measure using scientific methods and using data analysis. So this concept of precision fill in the blank just really, just really stuck with me. And it made me start thinking of precision. Compliance and ethics and risk management and diversity, equity and inclusion, and fill in whatever organizational challenge you're trying to hack with better ways because precision really does matter. And we can use data, we can use analytics, we can use these tools that we have at our disposal to be more precise, to move away from just making assumptions about things, whether we're well meaning or not. And most of the time we are to really testing our assumptions um to really measuring whether things work this idea of precision also came into play in uh some of the other discussions we've had including our discussion with shannon kirk in an episode that has been really really uh, uh commented on and enjoyed by many uh which was titled not all messaging apps are ephemeral i mean that was the very sort of definition of the importance of precision words matter the way we describe things matters And that was an example of a lack of precision that was really kind of spreading like wildfire in ways that were actually highlighting a sort of misunderstanding of the kind of basics of the issue at play. So precision matters. And I just really enjoyed the way that David brought that concept to us.
1: Zach, I agree with you. I I so appreciated both of those episodes in making that point, um, David and Shannon talking about precision, which is something that I often find lacking in the way people talk about things, and that in turn influences how they approach problem solving, and even understanding what they things that they have to do versus that things that they can choose to do. Interestingly, recently, I spoke at a, a, a conference where one of the questions posed to me was, uh, about DOJ's quote requirement, end quote, in its evaluation of corporate compliance programs in terms of how companies are managing the messaging apps. And the first thing I had to correct was those are not requirements. Those are that, that entire document contains questions DOJ prosecutors may ask you when you're sitting across the table from them discussing a resolution. That is very, very far from a requirement. Yeah. But this kind of language gets thrown around all the time. And it really does impact how we do things. So yeah. I really appreciated that.
0: It's funny on that point, and we actually did talk about this, I think, in the second episode, that that document went from being a document that was called a guidance to now a guidance that's referred to as a requirement. It's just exactly. It's- how that lack of precision can sort of take on a life of its own.
1: No kidding.
0: All right. What's your next one?
1: All right. My next one is also, like I said, everything Everything I'm citing here is from Dr. Carinder's uh, episode, is the, the importance of listening. So one of the things that she talked about how the committee was able to get things done was that it really made an effort to listen to people who work in Congress, about what they want to get changed. And because once you listen to them, one, they feel important that you're they're being listened to is, is being appreciated, being respected. And as a result of that listening, they're addressing the concerns that these people have. And that means you have people who are motivated to work with you because you're addressing concerns that they are facing. And I have always said that listening is the most underutilized tool in a compliance officer's toolkit. Absolutely. We focus so much on pushing out messages, uh, cascading things down. We don't spend time, enough time, and genuine attention in listening to what are the real obstacles that people are facing. It's not helpful, frankly, to people when you just tell them you can't do this, you can't do that. But you, you still have to have your, you know, meet your performance goals. Well, how do you do that? And you may not have the answer about how they can do that. But you can at least give the courtesy of listening to them and say, here's the real problem I have. In order to achieve my performance goals, I got to do this. But you're telling me I can't do this. And here, here is where the friction is. So if you just begin by listening, First of all, they would feel respected that you're genuinely interested in what they're facing, but you might really learn a lot about how things are working. So that's another lesson that I really, really appreciate.
0: Yeah. We were having a conversation with someone the other day the the phrase that came out that I just thought was really wonderful was, I don't think we have a speak up problem. We have a listen up problem. And it it's just it it was it 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 hit me as like super profound because we talk about speaking up all the time we write and read speak up policies we talk about having a speak up process um but there isn't comparatively comparable discussion about the importance of listening up it feels like the kind of thing that goes without saying but like it should be said
1: how about uh, you what's your next
0: all right my next one uh comes from both episode seven where our guest was Dr Caitlin Handren from the lab as well as from episodes nine and ten where we spoke to Benjamin Van Roy uh the professor of law and society and the director of research at the School of Law at the University of Amsterdam um I'll start with a quote that we got from Caitlin that I think really captures it which is for me the 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 articulation of a meaningful difference between the concept of something that is complicated and the concept of something that is complex. So the difference between complicated and complex systems, she said. And so with something that's complicated, you can think of a car, for instance. It's very complicated. I don't know how to work a car. I need an expert to help me anytime I'm dealing with my car, even for the most basic thing. But what we know to be true of a car is that if you have the expertise, then you have the expertise, you know how it works, you can offer recommendations, you can take it apart and you can put it back together. That's not necessarily the case in a complex system where you have a number of independent actors that are all engaging with one another and are all complex in and of themselves. A single human is so complex, she says. And then you put a whole bunch of humans together and you've got... an. An extraordinarily complex situation. Uh, The same sentiment was sort of echoed in our discussion with uh, Professor Van Roy, where he talked about the concept and defined for us the concept of complexity science. And this just hit for me because I feel like sometimes in our work, we hear folks say, it's really complicated or it's really complex and they use them interchangeably. But also we use the concept of complexity as an out at times, when in fact, what we should be doing is recognizing that the complexity exists. It can't, in some cases, just be oversimplified, that we need to lean into the complexity and come up with solutions that can actually work when we're trying to do things as complex as like shape human behavior or tear down systems and structures that have been in place for a very long time in order to achieve a better good. Um, so, yeah, I just, I really, I really loved that. And it speaks also to this discussion that we were having about precision, because there is a difference between something that's complicated and something that's complex.
1: I was just going to say that your second nomination basically echoes your first one. Yes, it does. And I, you know, this is something that I have learned a lot about. Um or at least I learned a lot from Caitlin in in the in the opportunities that that you know we've had to to work together. And this is something that she certainly constantly stresses: the difference between complication and complexity. Yes. And I do think it's important for folks to appreciate the complex nature of organizations, because again, in the in the ethics and compliance field, I think just because of how busy folks are oftentimes we default to some kind of formula. There's a misconduct, we do policy, we do training, we're done, move to the next misconduct. And to really understand what was the root cause of the misconduct, can it be fixed by training? If it's fixed by training, what kind of training would would address the, the underlying root causes? What is the policy's role in all of this? all of these are complex questions and part of that complexity is there's no standard answer yeah. because for even for exactly the same misconduct when they occur in different organizations all of those questions are have different answers so i think it's a challenge for us to resist that formulaic approach to things but really just lean into that complexity
0: 100% i think the the example that i think of all the time, and that um, drives me a little bit mad, is when the concept of culture is reduced to the phrase tone from the top. You know, there is this, right, there's this desire to take the reductionist approach, because tone from the top, we feel like we can manage that. We feel like tone is something that we can actually influence, but culture, that just feels amorphous. That feels like um, that feels challenging. So let's let's reduce it to this this concept that's a little bit more accessible. One of the things that Caitlin talks about a lot, and I don't think she talked about on the podcast, but when I hear her speak publicly, um, she often references the philosopher Karl Popper. For folks, we we've now we've now moved into the world of philosophy, folks. Uh, but Karl Popper wrote about clouds and clocks, and so when Caitlin talks about this concept a lot, she references the phrase you know, that we often use, which is what makes people tick, clocks tick. Um, But a clock is like a car. Humans don't tick. A car and a clock are complicated, but humans are complex. Inspired by Karl Popper, Caitlin often makes the analogy, as Karl Popper did, that humans are more like clouds, much more amorphous, much more difficult to define, not necessarily coloring within the lines. And again, it goes to the point of analogies matter uh, because they sometimes influence our uh, our solutions. All right, Huey, what's your next one? Last one.
1: All right. I'm going to go with how Dr. Carander ended her, um, her episode with us, which is the freedom to experiment. But I would expand on that and say it's the desire to experiment. And mm-hmm. I think that very much embodies what the lab is all about. And, you know, yes. I've been with the lab for almost a year and it's almost exactly a year now. Uh, and uh, I... I have so appreciated this mindset of thinking like a scientist. Before we come up with a solution, first we research the science of it. We think about what are the different options and we're not afraid to say, let's experiment. Let's pick a group A, a group B, a group C and run these different experiments to see which one works better. We don't assume that a particular method just works because everybody says it works with no one having tested it. And one of the phrases that I uh, we, we, we throw around in the lab quite a lot, which I love is FOFO, the fear of finding out. I do think a lot of people suffer from the fear of finding out because I know when I have talked to uh, a, a lot of compliance colleagues about let's experiment, let's test this. I literally hear, but what, what if it doesn't work? Yeah. My answer is, but you've been doing that for a long time. Wouldn't you want to find out if it didn't work?
0: I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, it's rooted in it's sort of part of our DNA and, you know, as common sense as it sounds as, as reasonable and practical as it sounds, I mean, to your point, not enough people are doing it. There's a lot of work left to sort of normalize that in the spaces in which we swim Anyway,
1: I also think there's, that fear, again, going back to what they perceive the the law enforcement like DOJ or regulators would say, and, and, and I can't, you know, I, I can't speak for regulators, but I certainly have spent a lot of time both being a prosecutor and working with prosecutors. I think prosecutors, at least the ones I've worked with, would respect that, that you really took the scientific approach to try different methods and validate your approach. Yeah. And if something didn't work, you correct course, you do something else. I think that's something that any thinking person truly would respect.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's funny, we've talked about this before, but it's, especially in our world and in, in the legal profession, which we is still a, a space in which we are operating. I mean, it's all about evidence, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. It is all about evidence. Yeah. But I, I do think there's a caveat to the experimenting, right? The experiments are not done casually, particularly if you're essentially experimenting with human beings. Yep. Um, it requires research, you know, having, having the right grounding. It requires a lot of thought in designing. It requires meticulous tracking to make sure that you're really measuring what needs to be measured. So all of those are important. None of us are saying that we should just experiment just, you know, randomly as we feel like it that day, right? So we're we're talking about thinking like a scientist, which is this theme that's been echoed certainly uh with Caitlin, with Benjamin on all of their episodes.
0: Absolutely. All right. My last one's a little bit of a cheat, actually. It's from the episode with uh, Dr. Curander, but it's actually not from Dr. Curander. It's from Amanda Ripley, who wrote the article in the Washington Post that actually inspired the episode with Dr. Curander. And, um, you know, we started by talking about the context of that committee's work. And Amanda Ripley wrote the following, which was a phrase that just very much stuck with me. And that is, sometimes crises make conflicts worse other times they force radical creativity Um, i love everything about that thought Uh, i particularly like the the phrase radical creativity and Mm -hmm. if ever there was a lesson that we've all learned over the course of the past few years with covid impacting our lives in the way that it has with there being political and social disruption um i think that there have been a number of examples where uh the, the the disruption the turmoil, the challenges that we have personally, professionally, societally experienced have in fact forced radical creativity. And there are other times when those crises have just made conflicts worse. Uh, I feel like it's just a, a wonderfully short to the point phrase that so many of us have lived and can experience and also offers a bit, I think, of inspiration for those places where maybe we haven't succeeded or we haven't made as much of an impact or where we haven't seen as much change as we'd like, it just kind of inspires me to continue the pursuit of radical creativity in an effort to tackle the challenge or build the future that we ultimately wanna see.
1: Amen to that. Uh, Shall we give a sense of some of the topics that we're gonna be discussing some upcoming episodes?
0: Yeah, well, we have a lot of really great stuff um, in the hopper for folks in the second half of the year. We actually have quite a few folks from the pharmaceutical industry, which is in some ways happenstance, in some ways probably is a reflection of who we know and some of the work that we've done in the past. But um, uh, coming up soon, we have the head of behavioral science and data science uh, for ethics, compliance and risk at one of the world's largest biopharmaceutical companies. Uh, we have a chief compliance officer from uh, a a large pharmaceutical company a different company coming on Uh, we have a behavioral scientist from another uh, pharmaceutical company coming on one of the ones that i'm really excited about though again to the point that you made to start this around um, drawing inspiration from outside the world that we operate directly in we have one of the world's leading voices on ethical artificial intelligence joining the podcast later this year who else way
1: we're gonna have someone joining us to talk about how to integrate training compliance and ethics training into business training so treating them as part of the business equipping business people as opposed to compliance people telling business people what they cannot do so that's something that i'm excited about as well
0: Uh, look there's a lot more on tap um i just want to reiterate the call to those of you who are listening. Um, If you're interested in being on the podcast, if you have someone who you think would be really great to join us for a discussion, or if you just have ideas for better ways that you want us to explore, please reach out. We're going to keep doing this for as long as we have breath in us. And as long as you all are listening, but I did want to end today with just a uh, very intentional shout out to the folks who make this podcast possible who you don't see, including Jeremy Miller, who's on the line right now listening to us and is always on the line listening to us and making sure that we sound good, both during the podcast and once it's time to actually publish the podcast. To Eric Godette, who is behind the scenes helping with editing um, and is also a cheerleader for us. So thank you to Eric.
1: Thank you all so much for that.
0: And thank you all for tuning in to the Better Way Podcast and exploring all of these better ways with us. For more information about this or anything else that's happening with RNG Insights Lab, please visit our website at www.ropesgray.com slash Lab. You can also subscribe to the series wherever you regularly listen to podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. And if you have thoughts about anything that we've talked about today, the work that the lab does, or if you just have ideas for better ways we should explore, please don't hesitate to reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.